to continue on with our parables. We've been going through the parables, and we're, we've been diving into all the things that, uh, that Jesus has been teaching us. And then for the last few weeks, we've very much focused on the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And as we focus on the kingdom of God and we focus on the kingdom of heaven, we've given a definition. And that definition has been, this is the rule and the reign of God in men's hearts. And that's what Jesus has been trying to teach, but there's a second part to that that some of his parables tie into. Not only is it the rule and the reign of God in men's hearts now, but it will be the rule and the reign of God in all men's hearts in the future. That the kingdom of God is coming. And as he said that, we wrapped up our stuff last week. We're looking at Philippians chapter 2, and as we looked at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9 through 11, it said this. It said, therefore God has exalted him, and bestowed on him, Jesus, the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as we looked at that, we said these very words. We have two choices. We either can come to God in humility or we can come to God in pride. If we come to him in humility, we will be lifted up. That's what it talks about in, in Luke chapter 14, the parables we've been going through. But if we come to him in pride, he will knock us down to our knees. You can come in humility or you can choose to be humiliated. It's up to us. It's our call on that. We've been diving into this Luke chapter 14. We've been looking at these parables. And we've been looking at these parables. There's so much that we're seeing here. And so much has taken place, and as Jesus is teaching these parables, I want to give you a refresher of the scene that we're sitting at. Jesus has been invited on the Sabbath to eat lunch with religious elite, with the Pharisees, with the Sadducees, with the scribes, all of these Jewish elite. And so he is sitting there, and they brought him for one reason, to watch him. They wanted to catch him breaking one of man's laws. And so as they sat there and they were watching him, they brought in a man who was sick. And this man who was sick comes in and they knew exactly what was going on. They knew that Jesus had this crazy thing called compassion. And that Jesus would see this man who was sick and he would heal him. But we have to remember what day it is. It's the Sabbath. And you're not supposed to heal a man on the Sabbath. So they're setting him up to watch him, to slander his name, to say he doesn't follow the rules of men. And Jesus heals him and says, yes, you're right. I don't follow the rules of men. But here is the deal. He turns to them in this little lunch party and says, by the way, I healed this guy. But if one of your ox had fallen in, something that is of value to you, would you not get it out on the Sabbath? into a well, if, if your son had fallen into this well, would you not get him out because he's of value to you? Well, guess what? This guy who is sick, he's of value to me. And this weird, awkward silence falls over the room because they thought they had caught him, and they hadn't. And now there's like this, well, hopefully he'll just leave because I don't really want to be taught by Jesus anymore. I, I, don't, I don't really like that. He's starting to impede on what I believe and what I think. Maybe you've had that moment before in your life. And we want him just to kind of go away. And he says at the end of this passage these very words, what we've already talked about with the Philippians chapter 2. But he says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he says, you can choose to be lifted up or you can choose to lift yourself up. But one way or another, humility or humiliation will come your way. It's your call. 
And instead of just walking away, he turns and he starts talking to the guy who invited him, the banquet host. And he turns to that banquet host, and if you have your Bibles open in Luke chapter 14, I would love for you to go to chapter 14, verse 12. As we dive into this, he turns to the host and he says this, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite yourself, I'm sorry, invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. See, the first thing he was talking about last week was this parable on you guys have a real issue with pride. Your issue with pride says you are the one who is trying to sit in the best seat at this banquet. I called you out on that already. We saw that get called out. That's what created that weird, awkward silence. That's where I said either humility or humiliation. Now I look around and I continue to look around. As I look around, it's not only the seating that's the problem, but it's who you invited. Why did you invite the people that you did? Well, you invite the people that you did for two reasons. One, so they could all praise you on how great your party is. And two, so they would invite you to a party too. Because that's what these Jews live for. They live for the social status of this party. So at this party, he says, you guys are not even humbling yourselves in your guest list or how your guests choose to seat. But what he does is this. He says, how about this for a different way of thinking? Verse 13. But when you give a feast... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Do you realize who those people were? Remember our, our, our yeah, they're the outcasts. Our audience is these Jewish believers. They believed if you were poor or you were crippled or you were lame or you were blind, if you were not blessed by God, you were actually cursed by God. So when they looked at those people, you said, wait a second, you want us to invite the cursed by God to our party? You want us to invite these people into our space? And he says, this is the reason why. You will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. He says, you know, you guys invited me here to watch me. You guys wanted to see what I would do. However, I'm watching you. All the tables are turned. I'm watching the way you sit. I'm watching who you invite. I'm watching your whole thing unfold right here in front of me. I'm watching the fact that you say you're about God, but let's be very honest, you're about yourself. Everything I see at this party is all about you. Now, he's telling this to Jewish religious leaders, but if he were to walk in the door of our church right here, right now, and sit down beside you, would he say the same thing to us? This little party you guys are having on Sunday morning, it's all about you. You say you're about God, but the lights and the comfortable seating and the TVs and the you name it. Is it about him or is it about what we need? How many people go to a church because their needs aren't being met at this one and have to go someplace else or they come to this one because they're not being met someplace else? What is it that he would say to us? That's fine. Mm, Thin ice we're walking on. Questions that we have to really dig into. What would he say to us? How would he say it to us? He says, you know, This party kind of reminds me where I came from. Of course, he's talking about heaven. Heaven's like this great, amazing banquet. That kingdom of God, that kingdom of heaven, the one that's to come, the one that I came from, it's a great banquet. It's awesome. Except there's one problem with your party and that party. That party looks a lot different than this party because that party includes more than just this group. It includes includes the, the crippled and the, bl- uh, the blind, and the lame, and the, and the poor. 
Where are they? Where are those people at this? Where are the ones who are needy? Where are the ones who are hurting? Where are the ones who are suffering? Where are the ones that aren't just the religious people? Where are they? And he's telling us to that group, and I believe he's telling us just as much to us. Where are the single moms? Where are the kids in the wheelchair? Where are the people that need to be here? Where are they? And when we pause and we look at that, we say, we say it's about God, but is it? Or is it more about us? And he's rebuking them for their list of people they invited to the parties. He's rebuking them for their parties. Why do you have a party in the first place? Is it really to humble yourself or is it to exalt yourself? Because what you should be doing is humbling yourself and inviting the unclean. Inviting the ones who you don't think belong. And there's this weird craziness. And he says, you know, if you invite them, You'll be blessed at the resurrection of the just, at the resurrection of the righteous. Well, when he says that, these Jewish leaders knew exactly what that meant. You know how they knew exactly what that meant? Because that's what they lived for. They lived for heaven. They lived for that. Their entire lives were devoted to that. But the problem is they were doing it the wrong way. They thought, as long as I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this. I mean, there was, what, 615 Old Testament laws somewhere in that general area, 630 laws that they had to follow to the T. And the better they followed them, the better they were, and the more assured in their own life that they were going to be a part of the resurrection of the just, a resurrection of the righteous. They were trying to achieve righteousness. They were trying to achieve this. And you know what? The thing that he said is, to all of them, is you're too proud. You're too proud to achieve the resurrection of the righteous. You're too proud to achieve the resurrection of the just because you will not humble yourselves. So in the end, God will humble you and make you realize that you are missing it. And he's telling this to this group of religious people in the middle of a party. Yay, party time. I mean, just... Think about the atmosphere. Just think about the weird, awkward quiet that is sitting amongst everybody. And they're sitting there and they're like, what do we say? Too quiet. Somebody has to say something. And you guys know that guy that has to say something to break the silence. And generally what he has to say is not wise. I'm that guy a lot of times. Maybe you're that guy a lot of times. And verse 15 shows us that guy. So it says, verse 15, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, "Uh, blessed is everyone who eats the bread of the kingdom of God. Yay. Just trying to break that weird awkwardness that's in here. And of course, everybody sitting there is looking at that guy going, yes, amen, I like what he says. Everybody's going to heaven. We're all in this room together. We're all righteous. We're all going to be able to do that. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Let's, let's go with that guy. And Jesus shakes his head. He's like, oh, you guys are not listening. Are you? You're just not listening. Because it's kind of similar to us, is it not? How many funerals have you gone to that they didn't say, well, he or she is in a better place? Ever been to a funeral like, well, that dude was one mean son of a gun. He's going to hell. I I have not been to one, Christian or non-Christian, never been to one, because everybody's going to eat bread of heaven, because we're all blessed by God. So that's what this guy's trying to say, because Jesus is like, hey, you guys are trying to earn heaven, and I'm going to tell you that's not the way you do it. And this guy's like, well, let's just make it all pretty and nice, and all the roads lead to the same mountaintop, and that way everybody feels good. And as long as we, let's just not put too much pressure on this. And Jesus is like, hey, how much pressure? I'm going to talk to you now. 
Because the next part is, he turns to that guy and says, it doesn't matter what you think. It matters what the truth is. And guess who the truth is? Jesus, because he actually says it. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. It doesn't matter what you believe. It what matters what we believe about Jesus and how he is. And so he turns and says to him, verse 16, but he said to him, that awkward guy at the end of the table, hey, i got a parable for you now. Everybody else is going to listen, but I'm pointing at you. And this is what he says. A man's one gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. And they all alike began to make excuses. First said, I have bought a field and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant, you guys are already laughing at that, isn't it? That's funny. That's a terrible excuse, but we'll get to that, okay? So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. He's pointing to this guy, but everybody else in that room is listening. As they're listening to that, there's four things we hear. If you want four things to write down, you hear this. You hear invitations, you hear excuses, you hear inclusions, and you hear exclusions. And as we look at those things, I want to start off with the invitations, because you see in the invitation, it starts off in verse 16, but he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And I want to pause right there for just a second because there's two words in there. Great and many stand out. And the reason why great and many stand out is that you can't give a great banquet and invite many unless you are wealthy and have status. I told you this Jewish audience that he's talking to, they lived for the parties. They lived for the social status. They lived to be lifted up. So as they want to go, this is a party you want to be invited to of a guy who has wealth and a guy who has status. So they see this and like, "Mm, I like the way this story is starting. For the time came for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Basically, in those days, there was two invitations that went out. The first invitation was one that you RSVP'd to. The one that said, I am going to go. The reason why you had to RSVP is similar to today, but a little bit different. Because what you would do is you would RSVP and say, I'm coming to your party. And when they said, okay, the party's going to happen, Then you would go out, and you'd have to go through all the preparation. Now, they didn't have Sam's Club, and they didn't have Costco. Okay, so the preparation took a little bit longer than just running to the store. You had to kill the calf. You had to clean the calf. You had to do all the things. You had to grill it up. You had to make all the stuff with the crops. You had to do all of this work and bring it all together. And so we see that invitation. So when the food was ready, a second invitation would go out based on the RSVP. And so the second invitation goes out, and he says, hey, we've got lots of food. We've got it all ready. Now it's time for you to come. And as you send out your servants to do that, guess what? They make excuses and say, I can't come to that party that I said I'd already go to. But see, this is a huge event. This is an amazing thing. Nobody in the town will want to miss this. Nobody in the the group, that group of Jews would say, no way in the world am I missing this party. It is everything. And so when that party comes about, we see this. We see this invitation to say, hey, this is the greatest thing you're ever going to be a part of. Anybody ever told you that about heaven? 
When you raise your hand to say, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. I like heaven better than hell. And so I'm going to raise my hand up. I see that hand. Why don't you come on down, down forward? You, know, you remember those days back in the, in, the, in the old Baptist church where they would sing just as I am 37 times. And if you weren't responding by the 38th, we're going to sing on the 39th. And so we would wait for that hand. And we say, that, that sounds good. That's that first invitation. But as we're going to see, there's something that comes along with that first invitation. And there's some responsibility that kind of follows that. Some letting Jesus, once again, as we said, be the kingdom of, of heaven, the Lord and reigner in our hearts. So we see that begin to say, so we, that first invitation is there and everybody likes it. But when the second invitation comes and the time is ready, people start making excuses. The second part is excuses. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. First said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. For just a second, think about this audience once again. There's no way in the world they're going to miss this party. There's no way in the world they would want to be out of it. But they hear these excuses, and as they hear these excuses, if they were really snobby people, they were appalled. If they had any sense of humor at all, they would laugh. Those are just dumb excuses, like you guys laugh when we were reading them, because they're just dumb excuses. The first guy says, hey, well, I just bought a field. Let's think about how great that excuse is, okay? Anybody here ever bought a house? When you bought that house, did you go look at it before you paid for it? Even online, even though we have all that technology, you at least looked at it before you paid for it. This guy says, I just bought a field. I need to go look at it. I've already paid for it. Wait a second. What do you mean you need to go look at it? You, you already looked at it. And, by the way, it's just dirt. So it's not going anywhere. It, it's going to be there after the party, too. But that's his excuse. His excuse is, that field... It's going to be my business. It's going to be where I make my money. It's going to be the thing that I have. So I'm going to invest my time and effort into that, and I'm going to skip out on this party. If we were to translate in today's terms, we have the same thing. I'm going to invest in my business. I'm going to invest in my money. I'm going to invest in these things. And as I do that, I'm going to skip out on that party. I'm going to choose not to follow that party. The second thing is, the guy says, well, I just bought a whole bunch of oxen. That's pretty expensive. And now I need to go check them out. Well, guess what? Once again, you should have checked those out beforehand. It's like if you said, hey, guys, I just bought five cars, okay, and I haven't looked at them yet, but I need to go out and take a look and see what I got. No, all of those things are things that can either A, wait, or B, you should have done ahead of time. So that's the reason why they're laughing. But he's saying, hey, my stuff comes first. Do we say that? The third one is, is I can't come, I have a wife. That in itself is funny, all right? Jewish cultures, the wife didn't get to make the decisions. The wife didn't even really have that much influence at all. So that was the first laughable part. But even if it was in today's culture, honey, do you want to go to the greatest party ever or do you want to stay home and eat the Edo list? The Fritos, the Cheetos, the Doritos, and the Ketos. Which list do you choose, hon? Even if you're an introvert, you're going with the party because the food's going to be better, everything's going to be better, and all of that. So that excuse in itself was just lame. Even when he says, my relationships come first. And that causes Jesus to say, all right, 
Here's point three, the inclusions. The inclusions. The, the master, the host, time, effort, money, resources, dumped into this party. And he gets snubbed. By In the passage, it says all. It all came up with excuses. He gets snubbed by all. You ever thrown a party and nobody showed up? I hope not. But if you have, my guess is that was a terrible feeling. Where you have all the food all spread out, and you're like, what are we going to do with all this food? Well, Jesus says, hey, I got an idea for all this food. The master says, hey, I have an idea for all this food. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master, and the master of the house became what? Angry. We'd all become angry. They'd be snubbed in such a way. And he said to his servants, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Who are those people again? The untouchables. They're the outcast. They're the unwanted. They're the not blessed. They're the cursed. Imagine the face of the Jews. First, they're like, that sounds like a great party. Second, why would you make an excuse? Third, who, who are you inviting now? The worst of the worst? No, not yet. They're next in the list. The first group that he's in, including is the outcast. And they're cringing because the honored guests who are supposed to be there aren't showing up. So instead, he's going to bring in the ones who are left out. The ones that he already encouraged in verses 12 and 13 to invite. The ones who aren't like you. The ones who can't repay you. The ones who you can't pat on the back and verse, vice versa, pat you on the back. And the Jews can't believe it. They can't believe it. They can't believe you would invite somebody like that. But Jesus, he's already demonstrated that. If you go over to Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus sits down face to face with a guy by the name of Levi that's sitting at a tax collector's booth, and he says, Levi, drop everything you have and come follow me. Levi becomes Matthew. Well, Matthew, he goes and he throws a party at his house later in that exact same chapter, right after he's been invited by Jesus. And guess who he invites to his party? Tax collectors and sinners. You know why? Because they're the worst. They don't get invited to any other party, so they're going to invite each other, and they're going to do the same thing that the Pharisees do. We just invite people that we're like. So he's going to do that, and Jesus goes and sits down and eats with them. And what's the Pharisees say to those disciples that are sitting on the outside watching? Why is your rabbi eating with those scum? Those outcasts, those sinners, those tax collectors. That ball began rolling that he's teaching about right here. And he says, what is going on? And the thing is, as we see in verse 21, that it says, I want you to go into the cities, and I want you to go into the lanes, and I want you to go into the streets, and I want you to bring them in. Why does it say bring them in instead of invite them to come? You know why? Because they didn't feel like they fit. If I went up to you and you were nothing like me and I said, hey, you should come to my party, they're going to say, what are you going to do? What's the catch? What is it you're trying to, are you trying to mock me? Are you trying to use me as your clown jester in the middle of your party? What are you doing? I don't belong in that party. I'm not worthy to be a part of that party. You don't understand who I am. But when we look at the scripture. And Jesus says, you need to bring them in, the ones who know they are unworthy. What did he just talk about in the parable before? 
Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who know who they are and know who God is will be exalted. They couldn't pay it back. And that was their fear. But if I get invited to this party, I, I can't throw a party for him. There's nothing I can do. I don't have the, I don't have the, and he's like, no, I want you to come to the party. I'm going to bring you into the party. But we all have reservations, do we not? Have you ever gotten that phone call that said, hey, I've just given you three days, two nights up in Ponderosa, and you're going to have a great time. But go to Springs. We've got a great little deal. All you have to do is sit through a 120-minute presentation on why you need to buy this. Yeah, and the thing is, is that that is what we automatically expect when we're getting invited to something that we don't belong to, that somehow there's a catch. So he says, bring them in. And the next scene shows this. Verse 22, and the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel the people to come in that my house may be filled. Now we've switched. Because first we had these city folk, the, the, the poor and the lame and the blind and the crippled. At least they had some idea of the city. Now he says, I want you to go outside the city. Now I want you to go to the backwoods of Louisiana. Okay, I want you to find the hillbilliest hillbilly that you possibly can. The guy with summer teeth. Okay, summer there, summer not. Yeah, that guy. I, I, I want you to bring him in, and I want him to be a part of our party too. You want unclean on this side. At least the city people have some clue. I want you to go out, and I want you to go everywhere. And not only just go out and bring them in, now I want you to compel them, which is a much stronger word to say, get them in my house. Do whatever it takes to get them in my house. I want you to compel them. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine the Jewish leaders? I mean, they're almost freaking out, and it's just a story. It's not even real. But they're like, wait, we can't have those people in our church. Ever said that? Hope not, but it's very possible that we have. And then it leads to this final point, a change, an exclusion. For I tell you, and when Jesus says, for I tell you, it means he's wrapping up the parable means here's the application. No longer a story. This is me actually telling you face to face. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste whose banquet? Mine. My banquet. That's a, that's a shift. And everything clicks for the Jewish leaders. So what you're saying is, is the man who invited is God. And what you're saying is, is that first group that was invited is the Israelites who are invited through the Old Testament prophets, who are invited to accept the invitation of the Messiah, who learned all of the rules, who learned all of the stuff, who understood who this Messiah is, who this Messiah was going to be. We saw all of the prophecy. We saw all of that. And when the second invitation comes, when John the Baptist comes and says, repent for the kingdom of God is near, when Jesus comes and says, repent for the kingdom of God is near, they say, oh, you know what? I got some excuses. We figured this out while you were gone, while you were preparing the meal. We've got this figured out. We've, we've got our 615, 630 rules that we are following, and we can do this on our own. And the excuses started to lay themselves out, and he says, you know, we've got our stuff. 
We've got our pride. We've got our relationships with each other. We've got our, our oxen. We've got our fields. We've got these things that we're going to hold on to. And I believe that's why Jesus leads into this next part that we're going to talk about next week, which if you want to skip a week and not feel convicted, next week's the one to do it. Because it says in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. All that stuff you're holding on to, you got to hate it in comparison to your love for me. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Your own life. And he's looking at that and he's saying, guys, the way you're living, your pride, you're out. And the ones who are humble, the ones who are the lame and the weak and the outcast and the out. The, the unlovables, the untouchables, the backwood hillbillies, they're in. Because they have the heart that understands it's not about them. Everything I see in this is about you. I read once this quote. It says, God is more willing to save sinners than sinners are willing to be saved. Because we think we can do it on our own. He wants his banquet full. And he's sending out his servants to go to places like Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria and the other most parts of the earth, Acts 1.8. He's sending them out to Jerusalem, our city, Judea, our state, our nation, Samaria, the place that nobody wants to go, and to the other most parts of the earth. He's sending them, and the outcasts will be there. Those who do not humbly accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior will not. And that's a humble thing. And I believe that's the reason why he says it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, when he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You don't think the Jews knew exactly who he was talking to? Absence at the table is due to rejection of the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again for my sins and for yours because we could not do it on our own. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Not me, but the gospel. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And the invite is out there. The invite is out there for us to come through the door. And maybe you've accepted this invite. And maybe you've humbly put him as the Lord of your life. What is your job in this role? What are you supposed to do? What is this passage telling us? How is it working in our lives? Well, here is what it says. It says that we are to go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, Going out, that is what we're supposed to be doing. What did the servant in the house do when the master said, go? They went. And they went to where he told him to go. That is our calling. 2 Corinthians 5.11, I'm stealing Jerome's thunder from last night. He wrapped up with it. I'm going to just tie it into mine. This is what it says, just a few highlighted verses. Therefore, knowing the fear of God, we persuade others. It's our job to go out and persuade others. Verse 14 for the love of Christ controls us or compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Verse 18, all this is from God 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us that ministry of reconciliation. He said, I want you to go out there and bring them in. I want you to go out there and compel them to come in. That is in Christ. God was reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and trusting us that message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. You know what it means to be an ambassador? It means to be a representative for Christ, God, making his appeal through us. That is probably the majority of this room. What are we doing with this message? Are we going out, as he's called us to go out, to bring in those because we've already been invited to the banquet. We've already accepted the invitation. We're already ready to go. We're giving up our lives. That's what we're supposed to do. Second one is this, though. There's people in here that think you can do it on your own, that think, I have got this figured out. Anytime I've shared the gospel with people, anytime I go through the basic EE steps, evangelism explosion, and there's two questions you ask up front. One of them is this. If God were to stand there and ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And most people tell me, I am a good person. It's not about being a good person. It's not about being a good person. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. It's about realizing how not good you are and how in desperate need of a Savior that you are. And you humbly come before God and say, I want you to rule and reign in my life now and forever. Where do you fit in those two camps? That is a question you have to answer. And even as you answer that, how do you respond? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and what you do. And thank you for the message that you've given us on this day that we opened up by saying we, we have to guard our steps as we come before you. We have to realize who we are and who you are. Or maybe better put, who we're not and who you are. God, this is a struggle for me every day to somehow think that I can't do it on my own. I feel like I'm a pretty good person. I've got quite a list of things I haven't done and quite a list of things I've only kind of done that should gain me access. But that's not the way it works, and you've told us that. You've told us very clearly that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, that no man comes to the Father except through your Son, Jesus Christ. There's people in here struggling with that. I pray that if today that is, a response is made to make you the Lord of their lives. But you've also given us a command to go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth to take your message, a message of reconciliation that you've given to us and compel people to bring them in, to share that amazing thing that Jesus came and died for me. It's not a cure that we get to hold on to ourselves, but instead you are the cure. You are the one that is the one that has to break down that disease of sin and destroy that disease of sin in our lives, that we give it over to you. But it's difficult, God. It's difficult because we get caught up making excuses. God, no more excuses today. Help us get past our excuses and make you the Lord of our life. We pray in your name. Amen. We'll be down here in the front as we close up with this last song. I'd love to pray with you. If A, you want to meet Jesus and understand a little bit more about who he is, or B, just be challenged to go, to take that message of reconciliation, to bring people in, to compel them to come to the Father's house.
Those are some amazing, beautiful passages um, that we see not only in that parable, but if you got time later on or just when you have your quiet time, just read through those verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's, it's so amazing. It's so beautiful when we understand from God's perspective what we've been called to. We haven't been given new life just to simply exist with Jesus. We've been given a ministry. We've been given the opportunity to go and to compel a people that they can be reconciled and they can be made complete. This world is broken. We know that. Just watch the news. I think everybody wants reconciliation. I just I think sometimes there's just a lot of people that don't quite feel that they're worthy to be reconciled. But as you see in 2 Corinthians 5, I believe it's verse 21 where he says, Therefore we are ambassadors, and God makes his appeal through us, and we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I mean, think about the beauty, think about the amazing, just the mission, the, the task you've been given on behalf of God. That when you're sitting across from somebody, God is making his appeal through you. So behind your eyes, behind your words, behind who you are, God is making his appeal through you for that person to say, be reconciled to God. That's a weighty, heavy, beautiful thing that God has given us to do. And thankfully, somebody at one time shared with us. Now it's our turn to go.